Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, I'm Lorena Turner, host of New Books in Photography. I'm a photographer and a lecturer in the communication department at the California State Polytechnic University in Pomona, California. Recently, I had the honor of speaking with Mickey Kratzman about his book, The Resolution of the Suspect, which was published earlier this year as a co-project of the Peabody Museum Press and Radius Books of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mr. Kratzman is a photojournalist and an activist. He's based in Israel, and his work is centered around the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. As a recipient of the Robert Gardner Fellowship in Photography in 2011, which is given by the Peabody Museum of Archaeology and Ethnography, Mr. Kratzman was able to continue to develop the five projects that are represented in this book. Supported throughout the book... By text by Ariella Azoulay, the resolution of the suspect looks at the wanted men, individuals sought by the Israeli state, and the every man and every woman on the street who, by virtue of being Palestinian in a particular time and place, can be seen as the suspect. I hope you enjoy our conversation and that you will seek out Mr. Kratzman's book. Hello and welcome to New Books in Photography. I'm Lorena Turner, and today I'm talking with Mickey Kratzman. He's a photographer and photojournalist. And he is going to tell us about his new book called The Resolution of the Suspect. Welcome to the show, Mickey. Thank you very much. It's really an honor to talk with you because this is such a fantastic, fantastic book. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to learning more about it from your perspective. Yes, please. If you could start by telling me a little bit about where you were born and where you were raised and how you got into photography. I was born in Argentina, Buenos Aires. 1959, and me and my family, we moved to Israel in 1971. The way I found myself in uh, photojournalism was in the mid-80s, was a kind of coincidence. I learned photography before, but I never thought about photojournalism. But as I was, since I was very young, involved in political issues, once it, there was a chance to to work in as a photojournalist, I thought that maybe it's a good platform to to be part of the events and to say something about what is going on in my place. And what what kind of stories were you interested in telling as a photojournalist back in the 1980s? Uh, at the beginning, it was not very clear. I knew that I'm going to work around the Palestinian. Israeli conflict, but I mean, one year after the beginning of my work, it was the first intifada, the first intifada that took place, and since then on, it was quite obvious that I am going to work in the occupied territories, and I do so till today. If I, even if I don't work anymore for newspapers or magazines, and I do more works that are personal works, independent works, and projects that I do and I show in galleries and museums. 
for the last two decades. Yes, that's what I do. So we're going to talk about your new book, The Resolution of the Suspect, that, that just came out earlier this summer or the late, late spring of, this, of 2016. Can you tell me a little bit about what, what, is, what this book is about? Yes, the, the, the beginning of the project was based in uh, something, some actions that I did in uh, 2010. Uh, I was the head of the photography department in Bessalel Academy of Art. And from the window of my office, I could see the downhill, the Palestinian village of Isawiya. And the, the angle and the way that I saw the village was like, from the top, and I thought that maybe it's the same way that the drones or army aircrafts could see could see the same people. Mm-hmm. And I used a lens that was used by the army drones, and I thought about the seeing or the look or the appearance, I may say, of the targeted killing image before the targeted killing take place. So I started to take photos from the top of the hill, downhill, the Palestinian village, and uh, I created a series of, of, of images like that. You know, once you use this optical, everything, everyone looks like a suspect. A year later, I was invited to a wedding in the refugee camp of Jenin, I thought that maybe I will take with me some photos that I took even around 2007. It was a, a parade by wanted people in the refugee camp and asked people to recognize if they are victims out of targeted killing or, and, or snipers killing. And I came back home and they recognized among my images like 22 people that were targeted killing or by drones or by snipers. Then I decided that obviously it's impossible to go to all the villages and Palestinian cities with your archive. And I decided to scan my archive to isolate each image, each face that appeared in my 30 years work archive. And I started to upload them to a Facebook page and ask what's happened to the people. The name of the Facebook page is uh, Mickey Kratzman, People I Met. And suddenly there were comments about martyrs, about people that are doing well, about people that died because of sickness, and personal stories about people. And it's a, it's a kind of a new format of a public archive built by a community of people that are sharing knowledge about my photos or the people that I met. And it doesn't matter if there were a portrait of people that I knew that I'm going to meet or just people that by chance appear in my photos, even in the background or in any other way. The, the possibility of uh, creating a new format of archive uh, took me back to other moments or situations or what we may call photography events that had something to do with the 
with the term of a suspect or the way that uh, the photography event take place. Uh, I want to add that the text in the book were made by uh, Dr. Ariela Azulay. Uh, it was also a result of a long, a long journey that we did together, conversations for almost, I think, that since 1993. It's also part of the process. So, so you're so as as I'm understanding you and the way that you're describing the book, it sounds like you had th- three different sections or three different kind of approaches that you were taking um, in uh, in your photography and your photographic work over a period of time, and um, and then simultaneous to that, you're having these discussions with Dr. Azoulay. And this is what the, the book is, kind of a compendium of all of that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's, it's also a reflection, you know, it, it was a, a great opportunity to, to, to have a reflection about all your work and not just based on one project that you do and you know the beginning at the end. And if, even if the, the beginning it looks like that, later on you find out that it's, in a way, about all your work as a photojournalist, as an artist, as an activist in, in the same area with difficult, different uh, uh, point of views and not only uh, the work for the newspaper the day after. And I have to say that uh, uh, from the very beginning, I understood even when I worked for a daily newspaper, that my work, it's more important to, to think about my work, not in terms of the day after, but more than anything about the archive that you create. The archive you create, right, right, absolutely. So what I really, what I like about this book are numerous things, that there's, that there's a multifaceted quality to, to the book in general, so it's organized into five different sections um, and it kind of, it provides these, it's almost like different perspectives or different ways to look at the conflict, the way people fit into the conflict, the way photography functions um, for you as a tool, for as a documentarian, as an archivist. Tell me a little bit about the organization or the construction of the book. I have to say that the, the, the order of the book, it's not linear. I mean, uh, another component, very important component of the, of the book, it's a kind of metadata of the work. And what I mean by metadata of the work, I'm talking not only about the comments that the people send me, but also the way I elaborate my, my work. I organize a lot of uh, images from my sketchbooks that it's a kind of reflection about the work I did. And at the same time, how I, it's, it's, it's how to, to think about the next step in the book or the next step in my, in my work. So the, the, the order of those five chapters are more about uh, how, how I did uh, develop the work, but not uh, it's not a chronological order. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, what is in the beginning, it's not necessarily the beginning. Uh, you can follow the dates of the work, so you can understand that I am going uh, both forward and back uh, all the time. And uh, it's more, it's more. I, I would say that the, the order of the chapters are, are connections I did about thoughts that I had during the process and not necessary uh, to start at the beginning and to, and to end at the end. Right, right. I, I understand. I was, I was reading the preface, who was written by, uh, the preface was written by Jeffrey Quilter, and he has this, this wonderful quote about your work. And, and, I, and I thought about it a lot as I was looking at the book about this quote, and I wanted to ask you uh, something about it. So he writes that your work challenges our expectation of content, genre, style, and even the notion of photography. And I'm wondering if you could tell us how you see photography fitting into the objectives of your work. So your work, I'm thinking, because I I also saw um, your lecture at the School of Visual Arts that you gave in May, and Mm -hmm. you called yourself an activist, or maybe someone else called you an activist, um, but that word was mentioned, and and you did just mention it in our interview. And I'm I'm wondering if this, this idea of your work kind of challenging the notion of photography how how you see that connecting to your work as an activist i would like to begin with the fact that the fact that i really believe that photography is a political action from the very beginning of inclusion and exclusion it's a political decision what is going to be what you show and what you don't show where you put your legs when you're going to take uh, an image from the very beginning, at home, outside, in the occupied territories, in a war zone, and, and, and those different places that you locate yourself to work, it's a political decision from the very beginning. Now, I really believe that, if not immediately, but as, an archi- as, as the power of an archive, uh, all those images create a kind of database of knowledge, of time, of uh, situation, of power. So once you locate all those images and you and you give the context of the images, you 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 already are an activist. I have to say that another head that I have, I am. I am I am the co-founder and chairman of board of an organization named Breaking the Silence, that it's about soldiers that are giving testimonies about what they do in the occupied territories. Now, I, I, I don't see the gap between those two roles that I do, or three roles, my academic or my activist work as a photographer, my activist work in this organization, it's, it's all, 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 all those functions create my identity. So when I am going to take photos, all those, everything I, 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 I mentioned it now are part of my identity when I take photos. Now, we, we have this issue with, with photography, especially when we are talking about photojournalism, that we, we, said, we, we look everything in a very positivistic way. That's what's happened. That, this is the place. 
that it's how it looks like, but it's not. And if it challenged photography, it challenged photography because from the very beginning, you know that the, the, your, your images are open to different way of reading. And the same fact that you see two people that are thinking or see the, the place in different way, they will have a different read images. If you know it in advance when you are going to take photos, that is what challenged the photography. Interesting. That's really very interesting. Dr. Azoulay said that the decisions you make are both political and photographic. That's what I wanted to say. The decisions you make are both political and photographic. Are you carrying with you those political objectives when you are photographing? You know, the same way that I take my boat legs to work, mm-hmm. I take those all those concepts with me when I am there. I mean, it's not something that you say, okay, now I'm working according to this or that, uh, or not. It's part of your identity. The, the, the act of photography from the very beginning is a kind of self-portrait. It's the image that you can't see. You see what is in front of the camera, but immediately you can understand what's happened behind the camera. You understand where the photographer was standing. You understand more than you see in the image. And this kind of self-portrait, it's not something that you can say, okay, now I'm dealing with this situation from a political point of view or I'm dealing with this situation only from the photographic point of view. view. There is no such a thing like that. It's you, Mickey Kratzman, or you, Lorena Turner, in this situation taking photos. And when I'm... Thinking about me or you taking photos, it's, it's a very holistic way of seeing you. It's, it's, it's you, but what, what everything that makes you being you, I don't know if I'm clear enough. No, you, you are. I mean, speaking, using that word holistic, and it kind of it allows for me to, to think, to understand that you know, as beings, we're complex with, you know, multiple facets to who we are, you know, as you were just describing yourself, and you're not, a, you're not separated from those at different times, you're kind of moving through, you know, your life and your work and what you do, containing that and uh, have possessing an awareness of that at all times, even though you may not be, you know, absolutely in touch with it, you know, as you're doing what you do or as I'm doing what I do, but, but it certainly, that certainly makes sense. I, I wanted to add that, uh, you know, people may, may confuse uh, my role as a photographer. For example, I never took photos in other uh, places that had different conflicts. Like, I would never take photos in Kosovo. I would never take photos in Rwanda. And I don't critic the people that are going to do it, but I am not a war photographer. I take photos of my place. And this is a very important component of data about my work, because when I was talking about my identity, is my identity as an Israeli in this conflict. Well, I think that's very, that's very clear, and that's a very important, uh, an important part of your work to address. So another question I have about the book is each section of the book is started by a separately bound kind of section of text. 
and then the group of photos that it re- that relate to that come afterwards. Um, yes. And it's a it's a different like it's it's very distinct. So it's a different scale than the rest of the the text is a different scale than the photographic portion. The paper stock is designed to look differently than the the, the paper that the photos are printed on. Why make the book in this manner with these distinctions? You know, from the very beginning, we understood that the book is going to be very eclectic. Very eclectic. As I said before, it's not a chronological order. Mm -hmm. It's uh, eclectic because the the kind of images are not part of of one body of work. And uh, because of that, we thought that with those divisions, we can introduce the kind of images and and, and subject we are going to talk and we are going to, there are, there are some uh, interviews with uh, uh, Michael Sfar, a, a human rights lawyer, with uh, the most wanted guy in the refugee camp of Jenin, uh, with a soldier that used to be in a, very, in a very specific commando unit. So in order to create all those interviews and texts and uh, photos, relevant to the chapter, we understood that maybe we should make this kind of uh, order with the help of the graphic designers from uh, Radius Books and, and put things more together in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. That's, that's an interesting, uh, interesting way to do that in terms of those, those two details of scale and then paper, um, the quality of the paper. I think the second section in the book is called Targeted Killing. Yes. And it starts off with a quote from you about using the camera. And in this you say, that's the very first line, lifting a camera is a very violent act. What do you mean when you say this? You know, I teach since the late 80s, and I met a lot of uh, students that uh, they say that they don't like to take photos of people at the street. I perfectly understand uh, how difficult it is because, you know, when you walk in the streets and you see someone in a bus station and you stand near him, even if you still, even if there is a kind of conversation by gaze, uh, it's acceptable. But once you use the camera in this situation, it's very violent because you have, you have to, to, to explain what, what is the reason that you use, you use the camera. It's all the time, it's like you have to explain to the people that you take photos of them, to yourself why you use the camera, and, and, and it's always something that it's unexpected many times. Sometimes it's not easy to explain why you use the camera, those days that the images, you know, when you take an image, it's not like years ago that you take it to the lab and you elaborate and you develop and you consider what to do with it. Sometimes you you send it. It's a protocol of knowledge that you send it automatically from the field. And I can understand how those people that see you with the camera have doubts about where is going to show my face. Mm-hmm. And and this is a very problematic, powerful, violent event. Do you? Uh, I I like that question a lot 
because I am extremely aware of that when I'm when I'm photographing on the street of how how there is you know I, I there, how there's the, the the possibility of how that person is going to interpret my action of taking their picture and there could be a confrontation you know either a high confrontation or a low confrontation some some confrontation um, that could happen afterwards. And, and so, so I kind of, I'm, I think what I'm saying is I'm just very, very in tune with that. I'm very aware of that as I'm out photographing. What do you say to people when you are, what do you say to people, um, about taking their picture? Do you, do you ask them first? Do you talk with them afterwards? Like what is, do you have a particular method or is it, kind of situationally dependent? It, it, it depends because there, it's a kind of agreement that you have with, 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 the, with those people. What I mean is, uh, you know, if you are going to a demonstration, you are there with your cameras, there is nothing to explain. It's very clear who you are and why you are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the contract is, it's, it's quite clear, even if they don't know what you're going to do with their images. Uh, sometimes there are situations that it's uh, not that clear, but uh, if you have a camera hanging on your neck, uh, it looks like you are going to use it. Sometimes I ask permission, when I, but it's, it depends on the situation. It depends on even on, of the need of creating an image. Sometimes there is no need. And sometimes there is such a need that you can't not to do it. So I, I, I can't uh, really answer to this question considering one situation. It's difficult and every time that I use my camera, I consider the situation and I say, okay, now it's okay or now it's not. And do, do you think people now are more aware of, well, uh, let me back up and say this. I think that the, that people outside of photography, so those people who are not photographers, are, you know, kind of in, in the way that, you know, people who, I mean, everyone's a kind of a photographer now. So now I'm, I'm trying to think of how to describe, you know, make a distinction between people who are, you know, more kind of in the professional kind of photojournalism, storytelling a documentary storytelling realm and those people who are doing that, but maybe, you know, have an audience that's based on online, like on Instagram and Facebook. Um, but, but my question is really more about people out in the world who, who you're photographing that there's an under, maybe people now have a better understanding of themselves as political beings and how their image can be kind of interpreted as in a in a political way, and maybe that's part of the reason why um, there is, you know, a, a, a hesitancy to be photographed. Does does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, I, I think that uh, what is fascinating about uh, what's happened now with photography is that we are very close to something that I call ultra visibility. And what I mean by ultra visibility is that. The, 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 every, everything is it's became an image like the you know the CCTV in the cities 
mm-hmm. the satellite, the, the, the street view, the Google, the Instagram, and who knows what we, what we are going to use tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And the, the fact that we, 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 we are exposed all the time to be photographed, I don't know how many hundreds of times you are, you, are, you are photographed when you walk one day in the city of London. Uh, and the question is, if you are, who, who, who have the power to see everything? And uh, my concept is that uh, I would like very much to share this possibility of seeing everything. And uh, if you are talk, going back to my practice, I think that uh, I am a very, very insignificant part of this ultra visibility that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you specifically about the, the section of your book called Not Afraid to be Photographed. Yeah. Which is the, I think, the third section of the book. Um, describe for me a little bit about what that, what's contained within that section and then what were your intentions and objectives with those, those images? You know, the, there, there is a, one character in the book, his name is uh, Zacharias Beidi. Zacharias Beidi was the most wanted guy in the occupied territories. Uh, during the year 2002, 2001, 2003, and a few years later on. Uh, and I knew that I'm going to meet him, and I was quite sure that there is no any chance that I will see, I will be allowed to take a portrait of him because nobody knew how it how he looks. Mm. When he came to the interview... Uh, at the end of the interview, I asked him, you see, I have to take a photo of you. And I was going to say that I don't care to, to do it out of focus or if you want to cover his face. But before I said that, he said, no problem. Mm-hmm. So he came to me with the intention of to expose himself. And, 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 uh, and I worked like, uh, you know, like in a very commercial uh, one-hour photo lab that someone needed to take a photo for his ID. And I said, okay. And I took a straight portrait of his face, like I know that it's going to the security intelligence forces uh, and we'll, they will spread it all over and say, thou are is how... Uh, this wanted guy, Zacharias Vedi, looks. Uh, and this is the real meaning out of not afraid to be photographed. During the years, I met a lot of friends of Zac- Zacharia, not only in uh, the refugee camp in Jenin, in other places, and I saw it again and again, that it's, it's a confrontation they have through my camera, but not with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then, so you've, so, so beyond Zachariah, who's photographed and, and whose portrait appears in that section, there are many other people who are photographed as well, correct? Yes, those, those were people that they decided to show themselves. 
they decided that they are not afraid anymore to be exposed to I don't know who. Yeah, that was my question. Who who were they? Who were they I, liberating themselves from? I I I think that it was like a, a decision not to be, or let's say that that was a decision to show the army that they are not afraid to be recognized. It was a kind of act of power. Uh, that's the only way I could see it at that time, and I was a kind of tool that they used. And I was really ready uh, to be the tool, to be used, like a kind of, uh, even I would say, a kind of public, rela- public relation job. It was okay. The, the section that comes after that is the portrait, is, the, is death delayed in a photograph. And that's the, this kind of amazing archive of faces of people Wait, I'm sorry. Is that correct? Am I miss? Is death delayed in a photograph? Is the no? That's out of frame. With is the yes, is the frame. final section with the Facebook um, kind of archive. You are talking about the death delayed in photograph. Right. Is the the recognition of the people from the refugee camp of Jenin that were killed by the Israeli army? This is the event in the wedding. Right. Right. So. Um, so you photographed. So originally there was there was a gathering of people at two thousand in two thousand seven, correct? Which is which was the wedding or was not the wedding? No, no, no. In two thousand seven, there was a parade by wanted people in the refugee camp of Jenin. Mm-hmm. Thousands of people that were full armed uh, walked in the refugee camp as a demonstration of power. Uh, it was quite. Im- Huge event. Uh, many people came, no, not only from Jenin, but from other cities to this parade. And I took photos. You know, it was a kind of photo opportunity, I even would say. Uh, but uh, four years later, when I was invited to the wedding in the refugee camp of Jenin, and I was already in in the process of the targeted killing, I thought that in my archive there might be a lot of faces of people that were uh, casualties out of targeted killing or any other method uh, of uh, execution of casualties out of uh, uh, fights or or confrontations. And, and, And I came to the wedding and I asked the father... My, my friend that he was uh, a one from the refugee camp, and I asked him if I am allowed to show people some prints that I brought. I took with me like 250 prints, small prints, uh, with a lot of faces from this event, from the parade, and I took two markers with me, and I asked people to 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 to, 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 to do a circle around the faces of those casualties, and I came back home with 22 faces of martyrs that were recognized by the people in the wedding. Wow. Wow. So then that, that to me, seems to be like a, a logical lead-in to the last section of the book, which is the out-of-frame out which is the collection of the kind of the images, the portraits 
that you from your archives that you had taken over a long period of time and then uh, kind of isolated the faces and then put them up on Facebook for people to kind of fill in kind of the, the history and information about those people. Yes, it was quite clear that I will not be able to to build a project out of my prints or my archive with more than 20,000 films yeah. and go yeah. around the cities and villages in Palestine to ask people if they recognize them. And then uh, the option was to connect myself to the Facebook for the first time and to learn a little bit, little bit about it. And I thought that the concept of, the, of, of my project can be a really Facebook project uh, because it's, it's a book of faces, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an archive, it's a community work, it's a cooperation work, it's a new method or a new platform that I can share an archive and collect knowledge about the archive uh, even you know, if I, I'm not the archivist in 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 the term that I, I I don't write the comments and I don't correct them and I don't edit them, so I I, I keep the the form of language and uh, words that they use to to describe what's happened to that people. The only thing that I do, I write what's happened to the people in the photograph. It's a B language. It's in English and it's in Arabic. Uh, I write the year and the place that I took the photo and I put the crop. Uh, Mm. Till now, I uploaded more than 7,000 portraits. I got like uh, comments that describe what's happened to about 1,000 people out of the 7,000. There are like 14,000 followers. Uh, Most of them are Palestinians. So it's a kind of, I may call it a community uh, that contributes to to this project. And uh, yes, it's 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 a new way, I think, or a different way of collecting knowledge, but at the same time to give back, to give back those to those people their own images. Uh, most of the people that uh, appears in newspapers they never have the chance to see themselves, uh, and this is a, an, an opportunity to give them back something. And and when you initially started the project, how how did uh, people find find you or find out about the project? How how did that audience? How did you attract that that community? Mm, complicated. A lot of hours of work. I have a lot of Palestinians friends, and when I opened this Facebook, I at the same time I opened a personal page. Mm-hmm. And uh, through this page, I, I, I promote the, 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 the project page and I ask friends to promote the page. And it was a lot of hour of correspondence with people through the Facebook. Uh, it took me a lot of time now. 
now it works by by works by himself but uh, at least for the first year I work a few hours a day on the Facebook yes at least four or five hours a day were were people was there any kind of um, uh, I should say were were people hesitant at all to to get involved and give you responses or was that or were people very happy and open and and um, uh, accepting of the uh, accepting is not the right word. I mean, like just happy to contribute. I think that it took almost a year to get a, the first comment. Really? Wow. A lot of likes, but the first comment took almost a year. A lot of people have doubts about who I am. Sure. So what I do. I send them a, a link to my gallery, some photos of me in the field. I answer to their questions, uh, and I perfectly understand why I became a suspect. I'm very happy to say that at the end there is a dialogue, and out of this dialogue, everything come together. They were just two portraits that people asked me to take them off, from the page, and it was for personal reasons, and I did it immediately. Do you remember what that first comment was that came after a year into the the project? Yes, I know that man. Really? That was the comment. And And I hesitate, and I didn't ask anything about it. Usually I don't ask anything beside that if there is a comment, I ask if he is in good health. That is the only question that I do, mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it seems like something where you would, you would want little intervention. The less is possible, because I, I, I don't want it to look like a kind of interrogation, you know, right. uh, and I don't want to embarrass people. So what they give me is that what I have, what I get, and it's enough. I... I, I I really don't have to go to details. It's not that I am going to build a, the biography of any one of those people, mm-hmm. but just to know in general terms if he's okay or not. Right, right. Uh, the most extreme example, it was a young boy that I took photos of him in 2003. Uh, we even played football together uh, in the street. And 10 years later, I uploaded his photo, and at the same day, he was killed by the Israeli army. There was mutual shooting between him and the soldiers, but he died the same day that I uploaded his, his face, yes. Wow. And did you learn that? Did you learn? You must have learned that shortly after you posted the image of, of the coincidence. Actually, what I do, I upload four or four or five uh, faces uh, early morning, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and then I go to work, and I found out uh, one hour or two hours later on that there were the, what happened uh, about the event. And uh, it was scheduled, and the upload was, I don't remember when, during the day. Uh, but in the evening, when I came home, I saw the comments. Oh, I see. Wow. 
Wow, that's that's a pretty powerful coincidence. What are you working on now? Since uh, five years ago, I am working on a project together with the Bedouin community in the south of Israel, in the Negev. We are building together a kind of Bedouin image archive, but it's an archive that what I do, I, I, I travel among all the unrecognized villages. And yes, unrecognized villages are villages that they, they are uh, constantly in the risk of, the, of being uh, evacuated by the government. What I do is I know that they are not going, I hope they am wrong, but some of them are not going to be there anymore. What I do, I create a kind of record of their situation today. Mm-hmm. And I take photos of architecture, portraits, still life, cars, landscape, to, to, to create a kind of visual archive that is based on location with the metadata of the location of the images. And the, the, the base for the archive is the map. And uh, I hope that we will not need in the future to find that in those places now we planted trees or we created Jewish settlement. But the, 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 the archive will give the option to go to the same location and see how the place changed during the years. This is very vaguely the idea of the, of the new project. Is this, is this something that, so you said that this is something you've been working on for, for five years, so it started about five years ago? It started about five years ago. I went to live uh, for one month in one of those unrecognized villages mm-hmm. that are disconnected from electricity and water, that uh, they are all the time in the risk of being evacuated, uh, the People are afraid to breathe. They know that there is going to be a relocation. And since uh, my kind of residency in this place, I I create a record of all those villages. And have you you seen in in that time period of five years, have you seen there be, have you seen small changes? So maybe not evacuations, but just small changes in terms of how people are living and how they're organizing where it is that they're living, that, that you're, that you're um, kind of evidencing in your photographs? Small changes is less to say because I saw demolitions of houses, evacuation of villages. Uh, that's happened almost daily. I see. I see. So, so when you said earlier that, that you, you hope that... Um, I don't know how to uh, repeat exactly what you said, but the essence was that you hope that um, the images that are being taken kind of now as a record of this moment, um, that they are, uh, you know, that things won't change. That hasn't proven to be true at all, that there's, that, that there is this kind of upending that's happening and your photos are kind of telling this story of a, of a different time period of a past they're active right now, your photos, for this project. Absolutely. I, I, I think that this is also the essence of an archive, that you organize images 
in such a way that even by the organization, before you see the images, you understand the system, you understand a, a, a reality in center point of time. And, and then when you, you see this order again, you see that it doesn't fit with the reality in the future. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you see the past, what is now for us the present, with a different perspective. And this is the essence of the archive. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason that the, the, the project, it's, it's about building an archive. I want to thank you so much for your time and your really incredible answers. Thank you very, very much. I have one final question for you, going back to your book, of The Resolution of the Suspect. Where can people who are listening to our conversation, where can they find your book to buy it? I, I know that it's available in uh, Amazon and also in uh, the website of uh, Radio's book. And it was my pleasure. <laughs> 